Hey, welcome to a new sermon series called Attitude Adjustment. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. Grandmom and Grandpa always loved having their kids, their grandkids, come and visit them. But they were exhausted at the end of each day with all the energy in their home. Every afternoon, Grandpa would lay down and take a nap. And one time, the grandchildren decided to prank Grandpa and put a little Limburger cheese in his mustache. Now, how many of you have ever smelled Limburger cheese? All five of you. Come on. Who, who wants to have a smell? No? You ever smell? It's the stinky cheese, right? Moran, you ever smell it? Yeah. Yeah, here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Miranda, come on. Yeah. Somebody said to me this morning, are you sure you want to do this, Mark? Because somebody may just like barf, you know, all over the place. I thought, well, that would be a memorable sermon, right? So Grandpa has this little piece of Limburger cheese in his mustache, and he's sleeping. And all of a sudden, he's like, and then he wakes up and he goes, this room stinks. And he walks out into the living room and says, this room stinks too. Then he walks into the kitchen, same thing. Then he walks outside and he goes, the whole world stinks. I thought there'd be a better laugh, actually, at saying the whole world stinks. Do you know people that for them, wherever they go, it's like the whole world stinks? Whatever situation, whatever it is, wherever they go, they find a way to just go, ah, there's something wrong here. There are some people that just can't be happy wherever they go because of their mindset, because of their attitude. And so that's what these next five weeks are about, is having an attitude adjustment in some very important key areas that we all experience. So here they are. Having an attitude adjustment in money, in how we see anxiety, seeing anxiety as an opportunity rather than something being wrong, how we have an attitude toward people that bother us and what it means to have a judgmental, critical spirit and then needing an attitude adjustment, and then unanswered prayer. What's your attitude toward unanswered prayer? Where does your mind and heart go? And then today, it's about an attitude adjustment in saying no. Do you ever say no to yourself? I don't like saying no to myself. I always want to say yes. Our oldest grandson, Josiah, had a... Um, karate graduation class yesterday. They live in Mount Laurel area. And so Holly and I went over and they had this big party because he got his, he, he, he's now a black belt. And he starts off this journey, you know, 
on the different levels of black belt, and they made a huge deal of it. And we were supposed to have, you know, a luncheon over there, and there was all kinds of goodies, but I saw cupcakes. <laughs> and the whole time I'm watching Josiah go through his, you know, routine. And it was so hard for me to say no to having a cupcake. Because something inside of me was like, I deserve that cupcake. I've been sitting here for an hour and a half. But I won. I said, I said no. I think most of us have a hard time with saying no because we see it as a negative. This morning I want to talk to you about what Jesus has to say about the power of no. So would you stand up? We're going to read in our Bibles today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, Jesus says, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And when your father who sees everything will reward you. Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, over these next few moments, would you speak to us about the power of no? And how no takes us to a new level with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, what's going on in this passage of scripture? Two things. One is Jesus is calling out the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the leaders of the religious community, and he's calling them out for their hypocrisy. What was going on here? So back in the day, Religious leaders and all kinds of people, just regular people like you and me, we are called to fast. Fasting is a normal part of the Christian life, and it was certainly a normal part of Judaism. But here's what would happen. All these religious leaders, they fasted not because they wanted to draw near to God. They fasted because they wanted to look spiritual, and they wanted to look good in their religious community. So here's what would happen is, is that they'd be walking down, and they'd go, oh, are you Okay. I'm just a little weak. I've been fasting for several days now. I'll be fine. Can, can you give me a drink of water? It helps, it helps the hunger pains to go away. And people would walk away and they'd go, wow, they are so spiritual. And Jesus says, knock it off. You've already gotten all the rewards you're ever going to get for looking spiritual. But interestingly, notice Jesus says, when you fast. In other words, fasting is a part of the Christian life. So what is fasting? Fasting is nothing more than intentionally saying no to yourself in key areas like food, no cupcakes, like social media, like TV, 
Go without, going without Netflix or Amazon Prime for a couple days. It's saying no to yourself. It could be saying no to a negative attitude. It could be saying no to a critical spirit. Whatever is in your life that you have a propensity toward that maybe has a grip on you, Jesus is saying that it's good to say no to yourself sometimes. Because when you say no, it opens up a door of opportunity. Let me put it this way. Over the last couple of weeks when I've been talking about prayer works and we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, every week I've used a phrase. You don't have to pray, you get to pray. Here's what it is. Jesus is saying, you don't have to say no to yourself. You get to say no to yourself. Do you see the difference between the two? One is an obligation, the other is a privilege. So for the next few minutes, I want to talk about three blessings that come when you and I say no to ourselves. And there's three biblical characters, two from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Ready? Blessing number one, Moses. Saying no helps me to prioritize my time and energy for better things. Exodus chapter 18, verses 17, 18, and 24 says these words. Moses' father-in-law, named Jethro, said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. In verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice. Now, as the Israelites were traveling out of Egypt, heading toward the promised land. It took them months to get there. But as they were traveling, conflict and disputes would come up along the way. You can imagine if you have a couple million people, they're all traveling someplace. Hey, you ever go on a family vacation an hour and a half down the shore and you have an argument on your way down? You know what I'm saying? Imagine a couple million people in the desert traveling together for months on end. So every once in a while, the Israelites would stop, they'd stay a day, you know, a couple weeks, and then they'd pack up because they were following the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And so whenever God told them to leave, they would leave, but sometimes they'd stay in places for a couple days or a couple weeks. And what would happen during that period of time is, inevitably, there would be disputes. Somebody'd say, hey, you stole my goat. That's not your goat. That's my goat. That can't be your goat. I know my goat. I know the particular, you know, um, little markings on the goat, and that's my goat. And then they'd get into an argument. And they needed an arbiter. They needed a judge. They needed somebody to weigh out and give a decision. And so here's what was happening. Moses, full-time job, from, the Bible says from sunrise to sunset, Moses would sit in the camp, and the people would bring all of their disputes to Moses. And from sunrise to sunset, Moses would listen to everybody's disputes and he'd give a judgment. This went on for, for months. And so one day, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, shows up and he brings... Moses' wife, Zipporah, and their children. Now, you need to see something that's not apparent in English, but it is in Hebrew. There is a hint of Jethro showing up to bring Moses' family back to him 
Because Moses is so busy, he's forgotten he's married and has kids. Because all he's doing from sunrise to sunset is dealing with the people's problems. And Jethro just happens to show up and says, oh, re remember, Moses, your, your wife? Re remember, son, you have children? It's a very quiet, subtle way of saying, hey, you're out of balance. And then Jethro sees what's going on and he says, what you're doing, Moses, is not good. You're going to wear yourself out. You can do this for a week or two or a couple months, but you're going to wear yourself out. And what's more is it's not good for the people. You're wearing the people out. Look at that long line, Moses. You've got hundreds of people standing in line just trying to get a judgment from you. Now, the most important part of this story are the eight words at the end. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice. Or another way of saying this is Moses started saying no to some important things in his life so that he could dedicate himself to the things that were most important in his life. Or let me say it another way. I don't think we often think about Moses from this standpoint, but it's true. Moses had a hard time with people-pleasing. He, he didn't want anybody to be let down. I mean, he was the one responsible from a human level, right? It was God. But he was the one responsible for bringing all the children out of, uh, out of Egypt. And so it's just him. And so he feels this heavy parental obligation to lead these people through the desert to get them to the promised land. And he just is over-responsible. And in being overly responsible, he ends up handicapping the people. And so Jethro comes up with this plan. Look at I want you to appoint Moses. I want you to appoint, you know, good godly men over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, over tens. That way, only the most difficult cases would come to you. So basically Moses is like a Supreme Court justice. Everything else is solved. Only the hardest cases ever come to him. Which raises an interesting question. Why do we have a hard time with being a people pleaser? You ever struggle with that? And there's a fine line between pleasing people, because everybody wants to please people. I mean, I want to please you, right? I think that's healthy. But what happens when you lapse over into an unhealthy pleasing people? So why do, why do people struggle? I think there's a couple reasons. First of all, I think we genuinely want to help. This was Moses. He felt responsible for the people he had led out of Egypt. I think there's also a fear of rejection. We want to be liked, and we don't want to be left out. I think there's a respect to others. You know, we think it's disrespectful to say no. When somebody asks you to do something, you find yourself saying, oh, I can do that. But internally, you're like, I don't want to do that. Then there's a fear of conflict. We want to avoid conflict. We don't want a relationship to suffer as a result of a negative response. In other words, there are some people in your life where if you give a negative response to, you're, you feel like, oh no, you know, you're going to be rejected now. You're, they're going to step back in the relationship. And then here's one, fear of losing opportunities, FOMO. 
fear of missing out. We feel like by saying no, maybe other people won't offer us other opportunities because we said no to the last one. Now here's a question. Is there anything that you need to say no to that you've been saying yes to so that you can actually reprioritize your time so that you can actually have more time to do something that's more important. So I discovered Facebook Marketplace last year. <laughs> and I went on Facebook Marketplace two weeks ago and I started looking at like new grills. Because my propane ran out of my grill, and so when I was unhooking the propane, I looked underneath my grill, and I realized it was rusting out, and so I thought, oh, I'll probably have to get a new grill this summer. That's legitimate. So now I'm looking on Facebook Marketplace, and so I'm just looking at all these grills. I start going to Consumer Reports, looking up, you know, best grill, so on and so forth. So I get my propane tank filled up, I, I put it back onto the grill and I look up and I realize there's nothing wrong with my grill. It's just the grill pan is rusted out and my grill looks perfectly fine. But I'm still looking at grills on Facebook Marketplace. I don't know why. And then I started looking at lawnmowers. There's nothing wrong with my lawnmower. It's a little dirty. But I thought, wow, my lawnmower will probably go in the next 10 years. I should be aware. No kidding. I've spent hours on Facebook Marketplace looking at grills and lawnmowers, neither of which I'm going to get until yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, we were over our daughter's house, son-in-law's house, and I noticed they didn't have a grill. And I said to them, hey, what happened to your grill? Oh, that thing rusted out. We need another one. <laughs> I'm going to give them my grill. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come on, listen, did you follow my logic here? At one point last week, I just had to say no to myself. And, and actually, I'm actually having a conversation with myself saying, why are you looking at grills that you don't need and lawnmowers that you don't need? So I just had to say no. But I started back up last night. <laughs> Sometimes we just need to say no because it's distracting us from something better. Number two, blessing number two is Joseph. Saying no to temptation protects me from a life of regret and greater blessing. Genesis 39, 8. No, I will not do this great wickedness. Your husband has treated me well, and I would, it would be a sin against God if I did that. Well, you know the context, right? Joseph is sold into slavery by his crummy brothers. 
Joseph ends up in Egypt and he is sold as a slave to a very powerful government official named Potiphar. And he works in Potiphar's house and eventually works his way up. And he's so good, Joseph, that he eventually oversees Potiphar's entire house. The Bible is very clear in saying that Potiphar gave him responsibility over everything. Joseph could write all the checks. Joseph could make all the decisions. Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything with Joseph in charge. And then one day, Mrs. Potiphar gets an eye for Joseph and goes, hey, baby, you want to go for a ride on the wild side? Now stop and think about this for a minute. How old's Joseph? 18, 19, 20 years old? He's hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home. Doesn't speak the language. Nobody knows him. Nobody would know. And yet Joseph says to Mrs. Potiphar, I refuse to, I cannot do this wicked thing. I got thinking this week, what would happen if he would have said yes? Imagine if Joseph would have yielded to temptation. He might have been a slave in Potiphar's house his whole life instead of going to prison like God wanted him to. Because in prison, he meant Pharaoh's cupbearer and interpreted Pharaoh's cupbearer's dream. So the cupbearer could tell Pharaoh about Joseph when he had his own disturbing dreams. So Joseph could interpret Pharaoh's dreams. So Joseph could become the ruler of Egypt and save millions of people, including his own family. And all of this was in line, was on the line, the day when Joseph said no. Now listen, we've all been tempted, and frankly, we've all yielded to temptation. But here's what's interesting. You know, the Bible is very clear in saying, you and I do not have to yield to temptation, right? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13. No temptation in your life. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The problem with temptation is it feels so alone. In other words, when you're tempted, the nature of temptation is you say to yourself, nobody understands what I'm going through. And if they did understand what I was going through, my own unique situation, they would understand. Listen, through the years, I've had many conversations with men and women who have tried to explain to me why the affair that they were having was the right thing to do on their spouse. You don't understand, Pastor. I've never had a good marriage. And for the first time in my life, I'm happy. Yeah, but you're, you're having an affair. I know, I know, but I want to be happy. I've given all of these years and I haven't been happy. I just want to be happy. What about your kids? Well, they'll adjust. Temptation, by its very nature, always feels too powerful to overcome. 
temptation says you can't help it. You're only human. You have to do it. You're powerless to be strong. You've given in so many times before. What's one more time? Oh, God has given up on you. Now, here's the thing about that. You have a heavenly daddy who cares for you very deeply, who has encouraged you to pray that you not yield to temptation. Now, remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about the Lord's Prayer, you also have another father called the father of this world. And whenever you hear those kind of voices, like God's going to give up on you, you've already thought it in your mind, so you might as well go ahead and do it. This is too powerful to overcome. Do you think that's your heavenly daddy talking? Or do you think that the father of this world is talking to you? It's the father of this world. By, by, listen, the Bible says that the devil is a liar, that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So therefore, whatever voices are in your head and heart that say to you, you cannot overcome temptation, that's not coming from your heavenly father, that's coming from the father of this world. You get that? So in this verse about temptation, look at the escape hatch. It says that in every temptation, God provides a way out. What are some of the ways that God provides a way out? Well, what I've discovered in my own life in temptation is the nudges of the Holy Spirit. Here's how it works for me. Hopefully, here's how it works for you. Whenever I'm tempted to do something that's wrong, all of a sudden, my heart begins to beat a little bit faster. All of a sudden, I become aware that a choice is coming up. Sometimes scripture verses start flying in my mind. That's why it's so important to memorize scripture, which is the second way that we deal with temptation. You, you have a hard time overcoming temptation if you don't know how Jesus did it. Jesus did it by smacking the devil with a word. And what I've discovered is the Holy Spirit is so faithful in my life that the Holy Spirit will throw things out my way to distract me. I'll get a phone call. I'll get a text. And I'll be like, oh, wait a minute. Should I, should I answer that phone right now? What is the Holy Spirit trying to do? The Holy Spirit's trying to deflect you from you. There's another way. And that is call a friend. But many of us don't want to overcome temptation in this way because of another sin, and that's called pride. We don't want to allow ourselves to be open enough to say to someone else, I'm struggling today. Because we want to be strong all the time. Now here's what I've discovered about me. I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong until I'm not. I can't explain to you the moment that I'm not. It just happens. And you're strong, you're strong, you're strong until you're not. And one of the ways that we deal with temptation is to call a friend. That's why I like support groups. I like AA, I like NA, I like SA, I like Recovery for Life that meets here on a Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, there's a support group called Recovery for Life. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Blessing number three, Jesus saying no ultimately saves my life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, 
Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to be to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position as a slave, was born as a human being, humbled himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now look at this, this next word, therefore. Because Jesus did all of those things, it's called the kenosis, it's the self-emptying of Jesus' divinity. Because Jesus emptied himself of his divinity and his divine rights, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Listen carefully. When you say no, God's going to reward you and send you up. There's always a reward on the other side of no. Jesus said no to himself, and as a result, God elevated him to the highest honor and gave him the name that is above every other name. And listen, this, this gives me goosebumps, right? One day when Jesus returns and he's here to judge the earth, one day every single movie star, every single politician, every single billionaire and trillionaire to come. One day, every single person on the face of the earth will kneel before the king of kings and say, you are Lord and you are king of kings. That moment isn't now, but that moment is coming. Do you know why? Because Jesus said no. That's the only reason. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. It's too much for me. I cannot bear it. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Because Jesus said no. One day, everybody will kneel before him and declare him Lord of Lords. But guess what? Because Jesus said no, you get to say yes. Because Jesus said no and went to the cross. And because of the empty tomb and resurrection power, now Jesus is elevated. He sits at the right hand of the Father. You and I get the privileges of being forgiven and cleansed from every single sin. Can you imagine what your life would be like if you really leaned into the fact that God loves you unconditionally? That there is nothing that you can do that God would ever reject you and say, oh, you've sinned too much. You've gone too far. Your addiction is too much. God just says, wait a minute. I created you. I went to the cross for you. I rose from the dead for you. You're mine. Let that sink in. Now I'm going to close with one question. Here it is. Finish this sentence. My life would be so much better if I said no to. So I followed this famous preacher, and he once did a series called The God of Yes. And I loved it because we do serve a God of yes. Our God is a God that blesses, our God is a God that says, Come on. I want to bless you more than what you can possibly imagine. But sometimes we get the God of yes by saying no. 
I don't want you to go too far down this track, but I don't want you to leave depressed. Can you look back at a season of your life when you should have said no, but you didn't? And you're still paying the consequences of that at this moment. There is a relationship you should have said no to, but you didn't. And that relationship has changed you forever. And I don't mean a good way. I'm not saying God can't redeem that. I'm not saying God can't bring good things out of that. But if you had to do your life over again, you probably would have said no to that relationship. I once had a conversation with a good friend that said to me, I should have said no to the first drink I ever had. I'm not saying drinking's wrong. If I had my, my, my Holy Spirit magic wand, I would take alcohol from the earth. You know why? Because of the devastation it's caused. But the Bible doesn't say that drinking's wrong. The Bible says drunkenness is wrong. Okay? But for some people, their first drink led them down a pathway that if they would have had it to do over again, they would have never started. Now you can say that about any other thing, right? There's got to be some things in your life right now that if you had the courage to say no to, your life would change dramatically. What are those things? And do you have the courage to lean into the Lord and say, I trust you. I don't know how this is going to work out. I just trust you. Because here's the attitude adjustment. You don't have to say no. You get to say no. Because when you get to say no, out of that negative no, comes a reward from God on the other side. I don't know what your reward is, but I know that Jesus emptied himself of all of his divine privileges, and as a result, God elevated him to the highest position. That's the kind of God we serve. When you say no, God says, gotcha, now let's take off. That take off may be a month from now, it may be a week from now, it may be five years from now, it, but somehow God promises that when you say no to the right things, he's going to do something super powerful. Would you stand, please? Let's bow our heads. So in the next few moments, the worship team is going to close out the service. And during that final song, if you want to talk to the Lord specifically about an area that you need to say no to, 
you could, if you wanted to, come to this altar and just have a conversation. You don't have to come to the altar, right? This is not a place of shame. This is a place of healing. But sometimes we just need a little step of faith to say, God, I'm serious about this. And if it would be helpful to you, nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to wonder, well, I wonder what they're going to say no to. But just have a private conversation between you and the Lord. If that's helpful for you today, then you come and kneel at this altar. And then a closing prayer, and you can go right back to your seats.